Moncrief on News Talk. Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone. The internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. What changed the world today? Stephanie, how are you? I'm not too bad. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about the ball today. Um, strange in- that we've never talked about it on this slot before because it's so old, including in our own native sport of hurling here. It's a very ancient object. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, uh, I don't know if you're, if you've uh, encountered any... Well, my mother, who might be listening, would tell you that when I was a kid, I had to get a ball everywhere I went. Like... We were just coming down with balls everywhere. All different sizes, bouncing balls, ones that were like just, you know, spherical shaped rocks. It was just (laughs) like, I was just obsessed with them. And I think, I do think that if you have, if a child has a ball, they have the best toy in the world. Like there's just so much that you can do. I loved your sum up of your childhood there. Our mother gave us ball shaped rocks (laughs) and we had so much fun before we walked barefoot to school. She would just say, you don't need another ball. And I'd be like, but I don't have this exact one. Well, you know what? It's so funny you say that because my daughter, um, who's just over a year old, she has loads of different shapes and size balls, but we're trying to teach her how to throw a ball. So at the moment, like I'll throw the ball gently to her and she'll pick it up and then she'll bring it to me and hand it to me very carefully, which is lovely. But every time she won't replicate the throwing of the ball. It's difficult, I think, also at that age, like what is mine? The possession, like the physics of actually like letting go of something and the momentum. It's a difficult thing. It, It is quite technically difficult when you think about it which is why so many of us are so bad at doing it I guess um, including myself um, so where does all this begin well I mean it's impossible to know where when the first ball was because it's such a simple object but we do know that the first reference to it in literature was in Homer's uh, The Odyssey, the Odyssey. Um, and there's a particular scene in that which is uh, rather saucy uh, because what happens is Nausicaa when she is washing her clothing, she takes off her dress and her and her handmaidens, she always went around with her handmaidens. Who doesn't? <laughs> Mine are all here behind me, you can't see them. <laughs> Your ladies in waiting. They're all there. Hi guys. <laughs> and um, while she was, quote unquote, playing at ball, you played at ball in the past, you didn't right. play with a ball, um, uh, himself came along and spotted her and uh, so that that's the first ever reference to a ball what did that look like it was probably very heavy it was probably filled with hair on the inside which balls were right up until the end of the 19th century or well 1850s when uh, vulcanization happened um, so uh, we do know that for example in Sparta um, that they played a game called Episcaros, which is, I've read quite a bit about it. And what I can deduce from it is that it's basically an even more primitive version of dodgeball, really violent. Throwing ball yeah. at each other and exactly. you get out of the way. Yeah. But if that's, that's a pretty heavy ball though, right? It's not, yes. dodgeballs are very light. But yeah, that's true. But <laughs> balls before the 19th century, they were all really heavy. And that, you know, sport in general was a lot more violent than it is now. And having a really heavy ball added to that, really. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like those bowling balls, right? I mean, they because exactly. if, you're, if you're fashioning a ball out of whatever you can, then 
you obviously don't have the vulcanised rubber and the air inside it so it's necessarily going to be like pretty hectic. Absolutely. And also they were built for durability and longevity. Um, when I was researching this, Stephanie, it was amazing to see about the history of the slitter because hur- hurling is obviously one of the oldest sports in the world, uh, which we can be very proud of that because um, there's a number of Irish academics that have done interesting research on uh, the predecessors of the modern slitter, including Clodagh Doyle at the National Museum and Queen's University Carbon Dating Centre. And they found a number of ancient slitters, or not ancient, like between four and 800 years old. So considerably... What does ancient... What is ancient? Ancient is uh, the world of antiquity. So like 2,000 years oh, old. Okay. So old, but not ancient. Yeah. Vintage, vintage slitters. Vintage slitters. Um, and these are basically... Matted cow hair, really dense to make them hard and heavy, and then covered with plaited horse hair. So there's a lot of hair going on. And uh, then they'd be covered in a kind of a leather material. But it all changed then. Oh, and the reason we have these is because they're preserved in Irish bogs. So, oh, cool. yeah, so they, you know, they have we've one. We have an awful lot of, th- we have an awful lot to thank. We have the bogs to thank for an awful lot. A lot. They've we preserved really a lot more than any of our yeah, museums. Or from butter bodies. to schlitters. Um, Did that original, this is my question. Have you ever had a belt of a slitter? I have. Yeah, yeah. very painful. Did that vintage, not ancient slitter have that awful um, seam what is it like mm. a? Yeah, it's a seam. It's yeah. a seam. Oh, they're or a stitch. Stitch. Yeah. The worst part. No, they didn't. Um, that didn't come in until the late nineteenth century. So uh, what made it a slitter then? Just was it not just like it, a? What made it a slitter was the fact that it was heavy, dense, and that it was used for hurling. Right. Um, actually, I don't know what the translation of slitter is. I probably should have found that out. If anyone yeah, knows, maybe they Google. can text, text in. If you know, I won't Google it while I'm on air. But you can Google it. Put what. down the phone, Stephanie. <laughs> My ladies in waiting can, can Google it for me. Um, no, but the reason I, I was thinking that that is a good question is because I think it was the 1880s, there was a, a man, a very influential man in the GAA called um, Ned uh, Treston. And uh, just before him, actually, oh, yeah, Ned yeah. Treston. And he was playing a match. He's from myself, like North Tipperary. He's playing South Galway in a match in Dublin in 1886. And there was a... There was a controversy over the ball that was being used because slitters at that time were so regional. So like lads up in Galway would be using a completely different ball to the lads down in right, right. in Tipperary. But then they were playing a match in Dublin. So they had to reach some sort of, um, you know, uh, conclusion Uniformity about what to something. what to use to standardise it. So he was really the first to standardise it. Um, he made his slitter, uh, he covered it in leather. Uh, now, it did have horse hair in the middle. Again, sorry, there's a lot of horse hair involved yeah. in this. <laughs> it sounds so disgusting. It you can does. just smell the whole match. Like. Yeah, basically, they made slitters by looking at the plug hole of the shower and yeah. going, that's grand material there now to make a slitter. Oh, gross. <laughs> and um, he covered it in leather. But now, it was 200 grams in weight. That's almost Talk double the money. weight. Double the weight of what it is now. But what else is 200 grams? Uh, let's how much is see. A, how much is a square? Uh, one of those rectangles of butter. Um, it's like that's a pound of butter. Oh, isn't no. it? What's <laughs> a pound in grams? I don't know. Let's not. <laughs> two hundred grams. What's okay, two hundred grams? Like um, uh, you know, a, a lint bar of chocolate. Yes. That's a hundred grams, I think. So two of you those. Think. 
This is <laughs> how much is an iPhone? This is the most scientific <laughs> item ever. To 100 grams. I mean, t- your porridge in the morning is 30 grams. Right, yeah. you know, two scoops it's a of porridge. Pretty small bowl of porridge, though. Okay, well, look. Anyway, two hundred grams. Go on. We okay. won't get into it. So, um, but that the fact that that was almost double the weight of a current slitter meant that hurling as a sport was much slower. Why? If you were oh, watching, because, because it was heavier. was heavier, it would yeah. travel more slowly through the air, and presumably so, not as far. No, indeed. Um, unless you're really, really strong. Now, everything like the mo- the slitter that we know now goes back to the man that you mentioned a moment ago, Stephanie, Johnny McAuliffe. Uh, He was from Brough in County Limerick and he realised that this horsehair situation was tricky because what happens to hair when water comes in contact with it? It gets even heavier and it absorbs it. So, like, when you're... Now, this doesn't count for me because I'm a bald man, (laughs) but I do remember when I had hair, your hair feels heavy after a shower because it carries that weight very, very effectively. So he realised that what he wanted to do was he would fill the slitter with cork instead of horsehair. And he covered it in a two-piece white tanned pig leather. And this was the first time that the slitter in hurling was coloured white, which meant that it was A, much more visible to the players and also to the spectators. Before that, the ball was brown. Right, because of the hair. Yeah, yeah. And the leather covering was brown as well. So, And was the white like just well, leather wouldn't or? be Well, leather wouldn't be naturally white. So they that? have to, to, to colour it white because to make it more visible. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's like, I mean... I mean, the Hogan stand probably wasn't around then, but it must have been better for the viewer. Or was it sort of more for the players that they were doing this? Both, I think. I mean, it wasn't a television sport yet, obviously, but it helped with television then a few decades later, for sure. I, I have a text here from someone, Bill, in Dublin, and I don't understand the question, so I'm going to ask it to you. Is a ball a truncated dodecahedron? Oh, dodecahedron. So dodeca means 210 like 20-sided object? 20-sided, yeah. Uh, a ball has those, thir- it's 32 um, of those little panels, doesn't it? Uh, like a football? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there. So that would be, well, dodec would be 20. Yeah. So it's even more than that, isn't it? Well, Whatever. yeah, but that's only just the panels on a football. I mean, I'm yeah. just clutching at straws here to make something relevant. Bill, to be honest, I don't really know. It has 12 regular decagonal faces 20 regular triangular faces 6 vertices and 90 edges I don't know I don't know what that means I, I've lost the run of myself now with all these balls Go on, of anyway. course a perfect a perfect ball wouldn't have any panels at all like a um, a tennis ball or a um, a basketball they don't have those panels at all well, the basketball does but they're sort of like kind of they go across it kind of like a horseshoe Strap, shape yes yeah yeah and stitched um so one thing i did want to chat about stephanie just in terms of the ball is mob football because it's it's not clear always where the football comes from and mob football is a kind of primitive folk game that was played in britain and central europe in the middle ages But the way this ball game was played is fascinating because there was no strict pitch involved. This was where two villages would play against each other. So sometimes... Jumpers for goalposts type thing. Exactly, yeah. Except it would be like the captain's house. And the distance between 
the goals could be like two, three, four miles, depending on how close the villages were. And a game could last 24 hours and you might stop and have a pint halfway through (laughs) and then it would continue. And everyone in the village got involved in it. That's why it was called mob football. It was violent. There was only one rule, which was that murder was not allowed. But how would you know when the end of a game because obviously with football, we only know the winner because of the, the 90 time. Minutes, is the 90 minutes, is 90 minutes. So yeah. if it's... So with this game, you would have a set number of goals. So it would either be when the first goal is scored or when you, after five goals or, or whatever it is. Right. So that was the way it was. It was always traditionally played on Shrove Tuesday um, in particular. And the pig, it was made out of a pig's bladder. The ball itself was made out of a pig's bladder, which was inflated and wrapped in leather. And this was a big issue because all footballs right up until the, uh, the, the 1850s were made out of pig's bladders. Right. <laughs> the look on your face. Well, I mean, it's getting worse. It's gone from horse hair to cow hair to pig's bladders. I mean, I'm, I'm staying with you, but keep, yeah. come on. But the problem with it, of course, is that they weren't uniform. It was almost like playing football with a rugby ball in the sense that you never knew where the ball was going to land or if it was going to kick bounce to the left or to the right or what have you. Everything changed with Charles Goodyear. Charles Goodyear is a man who comes up in this slot um, about every second week because he's just so influential on our lives currently. So when he vulcanised rubber for the first time in 1855, and vulcanisation, we remember it's about hardening and moulding liquid latex rubber. And it means that you can create these uniform objects using a mould. And he invented the first modern football in 1855. Now, it was still heavy. It took another man by the name of H.J. Linden about uh, seven years later to create the first inflatable rubber ball. And the FA, the Football Association in England, they adopted this football and they standardised it in 1872, saying that all footballs must be spherical with circumference of 27 to 28 inches, weighing 390 grams. It also has to have an outer casing of leather or other approved material. And that's from when it gets standardised in the 1870s. And you know the way you can get balls, I don't know if this is for like Gaelic football or soccer football, that like there's like a ball that's a size five and a ball that's a size six. Yeah. Is there yeah. standardization across the sport or why yeah, are there different? So, so there would be different um, sizes for different age groups and different leagues and okay. stuff like that. So for like professional football, there is a standard ball that's used. I don't know what the current diameter of that ball is. But then if, if you're talking about like under 12s or whatever, there might be a slightly different, different. size ball. I have a text in here saying when I visited Malawi, the local kids in the town I stayed in on the banks of Lake Malawi didn't have any footballs because they were too expensive. The closest thing they could get to a ball was an inflated condom. It was sad, but so inventive. An inflated wow. condom, it's not too far from the pig's stomach situation. No, it's it not. No. And, you know, uh, use what you have. Absolutely. Um, another one. Apparently a yellow tennis ball shows up better on TV. Regarding Wimbledon. Well, that's that's very interesting. And that is true because the ball at Wimbledon was white um, until I think the 60s or 70s. It, it became and it's becoming yellower and, and kind of greeny yellow more each each time. Does that mean that normal tennis, tennis balls were white or just the Wimbledon one? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, the ones that are used at Wimbledon are Slazenger. Um, there's 54,000 Slazenger tennis balls being used over the next two weeks at Wimbledon because they have to be changed every few games. They open a new can of Slazenger tennis balls. Uh, Why can't but they just reuse them? Do they get less? Because they, lo- they lose their pressure. So they have to be absolutely at their maximum pressure to get the fastest serve possible. But surely sla- that's not great PR for Slazenger. Slazenger. They should be able to be like, ours maintain their pressure I for know. up to And then the rest games. of us amateurs, like I'll buy a pack of Slazenger tennis balls and I'll use them for like a year. Try tennis <laughs> balls from when my mother was buying <laughs> yeah, me balls down in yeah. Town at my summer holidays. <laughs> I didn't know that they they de- got depleted so, so quickly. Um, a question for you. Does the slitter derive from a cricket ball with the cork centre? Cricket being the biggest ball sport in Ireland in the 19th century. Yeah, well, that's a a really uh, good point because it's clear that the influence for the modern iteration of the slitter comes from the influence of cricket and the, the cork. And no doubt cork comes from Portugal. A natural cork still comes from Portugal to this day. So I would imagine uh, the early cork slitters, uh, that cork probably came via the uh, uh, Britain from, from Portugal, for sure. I just love how much you said cork there in that little segment. <laughs> <laughs> just for you, Just Stephanie. for me, sitting in this red and white room. Cork I'm th- should really come from cork, though, it should, it? <laughs> absolutely. It floats and we need that down in that uh, leaky, floody city. Um do you have anything else to tell us about balls today? No, that's the complete history of balls. That's all you will ever need to know no, about balls. balls. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much. That was Simon Tierney there with Stuff That Changed the World. Moncrief on News Talk.